What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, here we go. Another edition of Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This week I want to talk about the business of television because it is changing and it is changing so quickly. There are so many more opportunities, but there's a lot of things that are in flux. It really is the wild, wild west out there. And to help make some sense of it, I am bringing back a guest that I had back in January of 2018, Preston Beckman. Now, Preston Beckman is a media consultant and the chairman of the Beckman Group. And for 20 years, he was at NBC, and he was there during the the great must-see TV era. Also spent 15 years at Fox. And uh, you may know him on Twitter as the Masked Scheduler. Anyway, he knows a lot about the business. And like I said, we're going to try to make some sense of it this week here on Hollywood and Levine. Well, first of all, welcome back. You were here a couple of years ago, and the industry has completely changed in two years. So in two years, I'll have you back, and we'll talk about the new industry. But, uh, you know, one thing I always tell my students when I'm teaching a class is, in addition to learning how to be a good writer, learn the business, because it is changing so much and so quickly and now there are all these different platforms, so I thought, well, let's talk a little bit uh, about the platforms. Let's start with broadcast. I mean, it used to be such an easy equation in that they made their money from advertising, and so the more viewers, the higher ratings they had, the more they could charge and the more money they could make, but they also couldn't own shows, and then suddenly they could own shows and that really changed things, didn't it? Yes. Yes. I I really believe it did. Um, There was still a a period of time where I think we were putting on what we felt were the best shows, uh, regardless of the studios. Uh, There was still a lot of relationships that went on. There was still a lot of, um, uh, efforts to um, leverage the successful shows to get other shows on one schedule. Uh, Paramount did a lot of that. Warner Brothers did a lot of that when I was at NBC. Uh, but as the networks started to own more and more of their 
uh, product, I think it became very clear to us that uh, that's what that was a priority was to put on the programs that you owned because it didn't only benefit the network, hopefully, but it benefited the studio. And um, therefore, the way to evaluate the success of a show had more to do with the overall revenue that the show would bring in and less about the revenue, the sales revenue that the show would bring in. Um, When I worked at Fox, they were the last, I think, to really embrace that model. And Mm -hmm. we were oftentimes um, uh, accused of not being able to do our jobs by Rupert Murdoch because we were putting on all these studio shows and the studios were charging us ridiculous license fees, which is what you pay for an episode to, to air two episodes, two uh, runs of a show mm-hmm. uh, where we couldn't make profits off of certain shows. And, but the studios, bottom line, look phenomenal. <laughs> well, and the other thing, too, is by owning shows, it meant that you could sell them into syndication. I mean, Warner Brothers is making fortunes on friends, but now the syndication model has kind of changed because, you know, it used to be you'd have a hit show like, say, Cheers, and you would sell it into syndication to all of these local stations in Akron, Ohio, places like that. But now they don't have exclusivity anymore because it's also on all of these cable channels and things. So, you know, the old model was if you had a hundred episodes, you crossed the river Jordan and everyone got rich. That's not the case anymore though, is it? No. Uh, and not only that, but it, it used to be that it would take about four years for a show to be on the air. Right. Like 25 episodes a year. Yeah. To go into syndication. Mm -hmm. Uh, That changed at some point where either shows would air simultaneously on the broadcast network and cable channels often owned by the same entity. um, Or or, uh, you would see that after a year, some shows would would move over to uh, other, other platforms. So the whole notion that for the first four years of the show, the, it was if you wanted to see it, you could only see it on broadcast or maybe DVD. You know DVDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that that started to change where you you knew that um, even if you didn't DVR the show, that very quickly it would be available all over the place. Right, and there's the other conflict of interest issue, like say with Mash, where Mash was drawing big, big money in syndication, but Fox, that owned it at the time, was launching their FX network, and they wanted something to be able to launch it with, so they put MASH on, which certainly devalued it in syndication, and all of the profit participants of MASH, like Alan Alda, were getting hurt, but the studio profited because they were launching their network and they were making all the money on the advertising. Yeah. Um, yeah. It got, it got a little shady. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, they would, uh, 
we would claim that we were always, uh, we meaning whether it was Fox or NBC, would claim that we were taking the profit participants' interests into account. I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, clearly, you know, clearly the goal was, we, you know, we own these things. And we, uh, what used to be broadcast television became part of something a lot larger. Right. And uh, it was how can we maximize um, the benefit to us of, of these entities? I mean, look, I think one of the most interesting moments for me uh, was when um, Disney pulled or, or said they were going to pull all the Marvel shows from Netflix. Right. Now, you know, that was a really interesting moment because I remember when they made that announcement, it was like, okay. And, and by the way, not only Disney, but you know, you started to see a moment where all of the studios that owned product were saying in Netflix, you're not getting it anymore. You know, where are you going to start using it? And, you know, you could see that Netflix realized, well, it's time for us to start investing in original programming because we're not going to live off of the success of the the offices and the friends and you know all those shows and that was that moment in the history of the business where uh you know you started to get the sense that uh uh ownership became everything and it was no longer about where can we get the best deal it was like how can we build up the properties and the platforms that are under our umbrella yeah, I maintain that the reason Disney bought 20th Century Fox was for their library so yeah. that they would be able to own it and be able to show it on Disney+. Plus. And like you said, with the, the streaming networks, and we can get into that in a couple of minutes, but, um, you know, Netflix, you know, drew such a huge following because it had pretty much everything. And so... For twelve ninety nine a month, you could watch anything. Well, now there's HBO Max and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus and Paramount Plus and Peacock and on and on and on. And there's you know all this competition. So it, it seems like boy, that's that's the new future of television is the streaming services. But in two three years, you figure. You can't have ten of these all survive. People aren't going to pay twelve ninety five to ten of these, maybe two or three. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of mergers and consolidation, don't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of look at um, there. There are the Netflix and the Disney Pluses of the world that I think will survive, and then there's a whole level below them that uh, are going to fight it out. And, you know, look, here, the, one of the realities of, of life is there's only 24 hours a day. That doesn't change. It's never going to change. So there's only so much time you can watch television. And at some point, I think uh, that what's driving some of the streaming services, once you've consumed these shows, you're going to go, okay, um, Either uh, I will drop it or I will only come back if there's another season. So I think mm -hmm. there's going to be a shakeup. I also think that everybody knows right now they have to get in the pool. 
Right. Uh, you know, this business, and I've been, you know, I've been involved with it for almost 40 years, I think, mm-hmm. uh, uh, is always about, we don't know if this makes sense, but we, we've got to do it. And then we'll figure out if it makes any sense. Right. And usually what happens is at some point, and I always talk about this in my Twitter feed, uh, at some point it starts to look a lot like the way it used to look. Um, you know, and I think what's happening now is, you know, you have the broadcast networks and now you have the streaming services. And, you know, they're going to be the, the high-rated streaming, streaming services or the highly subscribed, and then there are going to be the lesser lesser ones, and some of those will survive and some of them won't. Uh, but what they all need is product and, and content, and, and that's what's exploding right now. And I think my prediction is that the the model will flip, whereas now CBS will premiere its show on its broadcast network, and then it will go to Paramount Plus or whatever streaming service they own. And I think in the future it's going to be the opposite, that the shows are going to premiere on Paramount Plus, and then, you know, for the few stragglers who, who still don't, have it, it'll go on their broadcast network a few months later. Or people will go, well, I know it's coming on the broadcast network a few months later. I can wait. Exactly. Yeah, because, I mean, most shows aren't, um, you know, must-see. I have to see them right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they are, you'll subscribe. But if they're not, you know, and everybody might have their two or three, but not hundreds. Um, I, I find it humorous that um, as someone who spent 25 years of their career in scheduling and uh, people would go, well, you know, scheduling is dead, linear is dead. I think what you're about to see is the evolution of scheduling where um, the people who were doing it at the networks can easily be hired to do it at, at companies where, okay, here's what we have. How do we maximize this? Do we start on the network? Do we start on a cable channel? Do we start on our streaming service? Once we start on the streaming service, where does it go next? So there's a whole, um, I think, uh, there's a a job for people who know how to, still know how to strategize, put it all together, and maximize the the revenue and the benefits that they'll get from the shows. I don't think think it's going to look a lot different from the way it may have looked 30 years ago. It's just going to be less about ratings and more about maximizing revenue, maximizing subs and things like that. There's also so much more product out there now. Mm -hmm. And that's got to be a big challenge for anybody who is say scheduling Netflix because there's so many shows you know, I remember as a producer having shows on CBS and NBC and always fighting to get promos to be noticed. And that's among a crop of 10 new shows. And, you know, Netflix is putting up 30 new shows a month and documentaries and shows from Britain and shows from Copenhagen. And it's like, my God, how do you get sampled? Well, I don't think they care. I mean, I really think it's about as long as you're giving them the twelve ninety nine, fourteen ninety nine a month, they don't really care what you're watching. No, They'll they don't. The- but as the producer, I do. Oh, yeah. Well, 
<laughs> too bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, uh, it, it's it, they have the metrics. They know. But, you know, it's interesting how many um, shows on Netflix drop and you've never heard of them. You know nothing about them. And all of a sudden, you know, on, on social media, you start hearing about Tiger King or you start hearing about some other real crime documentary that they did. And then that's what they're hoping is that something resonates and then the uh, audience is the marketer of the show as opposed to um historically uh okay you know how do we launch a schedule so a, a lot of the i mean and you know uh we just started watching call my agent which has been on netflix for quite a while i think it's it's fourth season now on mm-hmm. netflix we didn't know about it you know where how do we find you know i i saw it was sitting there you know i go on Netflix and there it was. I didn't even look at what it was. And then, you know, we start to hear about it from people we know. And I think that's the way it works now. It's not about fighting for, for, for marketing because they don't really promote everything. And even the way they promote it is differently. You know, you get emails, there's all kinds of ways in which you find out what's going on, you know, what's coming on. And you, 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 you do your own work in finding out, you know, you, you go on certain websites, what's going to, what's coming on these, Right. So it's just a whole. It's a different way. But the it used to be, as you as you well know, opening night. You know, you you promote something. You'd wake up the next morning. You'd see the ratings. You have some idea about how it's going to do. You have to wait a few weeks, but you have some idea. I don't think that's that's not the model anymore. Uh, if there's anything called opening night, it's like how many subs do you get within the first two or three weeks when you drop. A streaming service so you're marketing the service and not the shows so uh, among the viewers of a netflix or a hulu would you say that primarily they are watching the new product or are they watching reruns of golden girls and full house and the office. It seems to me that whatever the highest rated show is on Netflix, probably more people were watching Friends on Netflix back when Friends was on Netflix. Uh, I can't tell you I have data. I can tell you anecdotally that I've always believed that um, what drives the success of streaming services are the same shows that drove the success of the broadcast networks. I mean, you, you actually saw it in, you still see in syndication where you'd look at what the top rated shows are in syndication on any given day. And it's still the, you know, the big bang theory and CIS um, shows like that. So um, the, the, the hits are the hits. And, you know, the really good hits, uh, especially the ones that are more episodic rather than serialized, um, go on forever. And uh, you know, when, when I started the business, I, one of the first day parts when th- that term existed that I worked with in research was Saturday morning. And I always found it interesting that the most successful Saturday morning show was Bugs Bunny. It was repeats. Of, you know, of all those Bugs Bunny. Right. And, you know, you start to realize that every five years you repopulate the audience. 
for a show like that. And I think it's the same thing with shows like Friends, especially a show like Friends, where, you know, you go through life and you re, you're repopulating who are the who are the the 20 somethings now. Well, now I'm 20 something. I can look at it with a different set of eyes than when I was 10. You know, because right. Friends was always the show of either I want to be them, I am them, or I remember being them. So as you go through life, you can watch Friends. Same thing with The Office. You know, most of us have worked in environments like that. So so those things are universal, and I still believe that um, that's what's driving um, viewership. Also, I find it interesting on Netflix that more and more shows on Netflix feel like they could have been on broadcast networks as opposed to these esoteric, off-the-wall kind of shows. There's a show right. called Virgin, Virgin River, which right. – is the classic fish out of water romance kind of thing. And, you know, um, there was Mag- steel magnolias, something around steel magnolias or mm-hmm. another show on Netflix. That's the same idea of, of women who are friends who live in a small town. And um, I watch their shows. My wife loves them and we watch them and I go, this is exactly what we used to watch on broadcast television. And those states. So, um, that's why I keep going back to what worked 35 years ago is still what's going to work today. Well, what's interesting is since the networks started owning shows, they obviously had a lot more influence and their notes became mandatory notes. And you would think over the years as network ratings are eroding, as audiences are going elsewhere that at least they would ease up on that and offer at least a place for creative people to have some creative freedom. And instead it's just getting worse and worse. And you think to yourself, okay, as you know, if I were still a 35 year old producer showrunner, and I wanted to get a show on the air, I wouldn't go to CBS first. I wouldn't go to them until I've already gone to Hulu and Netflix and Amazon and Spectrum and everywhere else. I I just don't understand why the networks continue to have this chokehold on creative people when all it's doing is driving away viewers and creative people. Wow. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, I think over the last few years, you start to see the um, uh, coalescence of program executives that were used to be, even uh, if it was a Fox studio show, there would be network program at current executives mm-hmm. and there would be Fox studio current executives. So you would be getting notes from two different people or, you know, sources, that's sort of going away. And you're seeing that there's, a, there's only one voice at, um, at, at a production, at, at an entity, whether it's Fox right. or whatever. So that's going away. Um, I, I, there, are still, there are still restraints to uh, broadcast television that don't exist on these other uh, services, you know, there's still a standards department. Um, there's still a sales department 
for what, you know, so there are still issues that have to be dealt with at a broadcast network that are not necessarily the case. That's true, but that's always been the case. What I'm talking about is, you know, back in the Pleistocene era, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, writer would come in and would pitch a show to a network and the network would say, okay. And then the writer would come in a week later and pitch out the story outline. And the network would say, okay, write a first draft. You write a first draft, you get notes, you do a second draft and they pick you up or they don't. Now you have to go in with this huge pitch and if they pick you up, then you have to write this like one page document of the basic beats of the outline that has to be approved by 15 other people. Then when that is done, you have to write like a 15 page outline and that gets revised 17 times. And then you write the first draft and get notes from a million people and on and on. I mean, it's just, it's just mind numbing now. And I think to myself, you know, if I'm, if I'm Netflix, if I'm Hulu and there's a writer who I trust and, and I say, yeah, I'm not going to pay as much and not as many people potentially will see it, but you can go off and do your own show. I'm going to get that, that producer coming over to, to Hulu. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't know what to say that other than, you know, that, that there are different, constraints um who well not hulu it's uh and and netflix still rely on the subs so you know it's not going to be about uh limiting the content in any way it's going to be is this bringing in subscribers now a lot of those shows won't you know there there is something to be said (laughs) for um taking a create we might disagree on this (laughs) taking a creative idea and saying, well, this is how you're going to get more people to watch it. You know, I mean, the, hist- my, um, the history that I know of the business is how many, I don't know how many times someone at a network came up with an idea. I mean, look, Friends, uh, Warren Littlefield made some suggestions in that show. You know, uh, Will and Grace started in a different direction. And again, there were some suggestions made by the networks which I think made it a better show. So uh, I don't think it's a blanket like, here's my idea, you know, he- here's what I want to do. Okay, go and go and do it. Well, I mean, I'm I'm all for I'm all for the best idea wins, and I'm also all for suggestions. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between saying, you know, what might be good is if you tried that, and you think, hey, you know what, that's that's a good idea. And by the way, there have been along my journey some very good smart people who have offered really good notes along the way and to them i'm i'm very grateful and and acknowledge tim stack and and a number of people um but it just seems like there's there's so many notes and, and you know not to belabor the point but you would think that when 
the networks are having their retreats at La Costa or whatever, and they're going, okay, so what do we do for this season? That somebody might say, you know, we're not getting the best ideas. They're not coming to us first. What can we do to entice the creative community to come back to us with their ideas and not go to Hulu with their ideas first? Well, I think that um, the networks are now, you know, the networks used to be on top. They were on top. They could do anything, yep. Now they're part of something. So you can go to who you can go to um, Paramount Plus, let's say, mm-hmm. and pitch an idea. You're going to pitch it to an entity that will, might say to you, "This platform makes the most sense for this idea," and you could wind up on CBS. See what I mean? Okay. So, so you're not pitching to. FX or USA Network or NBC, you're pitching to Comcast. You're pitching to something bigger than what you and I are, how we grew up in the business, so to speak. And you may find yourself where you didn't think you were going to wind up because they might go, well, this is an idea that we feel will help us on this platform. And, you know, or they'll say, well, you know, we're going to put you on this platform and this platform. But in between, you know, you might have to edit, make some changes when we go over to this platform. Right. I mean, you've been seeing it with um, uh, being a big pro wrestling fan. You're seeing it with what Peacock and the WWE are now doing now that the WWE is over on Peacock. And they're going, OK, we're taking your product and we're editing it, you know. Right. So I, I don't know if it's like, oh, why, I don't know if the broadcast networks are necessarily going, why aren't we getting the best ideas? I think the ideas are now not coming to a platform. They're coming to a, a larger entity. Fair which, enough. You know. Yeah, fair, fair enough. You know, you mentioned the USA Network, and it seems to me that these cable networks – like Bravo and USA and everything, boy, they're kind of getting squeezed out between broadcast and streaming. Uh, why bring a show to the USA network? But uh, I'll say it again, you know, but you're bringing, you'd be bringing it to Comcast. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. But is the USA network going to survive? Are, are those things going to go away? Um, I, I, I think they will for 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 now. I mean, you know, they, they have a dual revenue stream. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's more about when will cable systems say start dropping them and saying we're paying you, you know, forty cents a sub. Uh, you're not worth forty cents a sub to me anymore. You're you're worth ten cents a sub. I mean, look, one of the reasons why broadcast networks survive is because of retransmission fees. You know, they they used to have broadcast networks were a single revenue stream, advertising. Mm-hmm. Now they go to their affiliates, and the affiliates are paid by the cable systems to carry the affiliate, and the affiliate then takes the money, and it comes to the network. So the networks now have a second revenue stream, which allows them to survive. Um, 
So I, I believe, and I, I'm seeing it, I've been working with uh, Discovery on the launch of Discovery Plus. And, you know, we talk about this all the time because they have all these channels. And uh, it's interesting to see how this whole thing is going to fit together because they're very popular channels. And um, it's a, it's a, it's a tightrope to, to figure out what goes over to the streaming service. When does it go over the streaming service? What should stay on um, the Food Network or HDTV? So there's, there's all these. That's why I, get, I go back to we're in the, I think we're in the infancy of all this. And um, I think it's going to take, um, and I, I know of one service, I won't say which, which actually approached me about coming over there to schedule this <laughs> service. And I told them, uh, no, but <laughs> I congratulate you for understanding that you need a strategy and you need to figure out, you need someone who's going to help to put it all together for you. On the other hand, yes, it's the Wild West. Yes. But- isn't it fun? It's always been, yeah, I mean, I've never, this business has never stopped evolving <laughs> for right. me, and I'm sure for you, and I find it, I find it fascinating. I, I really do. Um, and it, at the end of the day, it comes back to the same thing. You've got to tell good stories. You know, it, I've always said, you know, when I was at NBC or even Fox, I would say this, there were three things. There's the show, there's the scheduling, and there's the marketing. And I would always say the show is on top. Then I would say the scheduling, then the marketing is where. <laughs> sure, you would. I yeah. Ask yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's the scheduling anymore. I think it's the marketing. But the show is still, it all comes down to find that. Now, what I find unsettling is how much of what we see now is what we've already seen you know, reboots and reimaginings mm-hmm. and this, you know, and as I call the colonized hits, you know, the CSIs, the law and orders, the, you know, so I think what um, the laziness of the business is what I find, if anything, upsetting in that, you know, it's like, okay, it, as long as it, we, it's hard to, as you said before, it's hard to market these shows. But if I say it's law and order colon, I can go law and order colon, hairdresser you know right uh or uh csi colon sheboygan you know it so i think that's a little um uh a little lazy and it's still the what really breaks out is what's never been done before what's been done i mean the basic idea is there but it's been it's a new way to do it a creative way to do it or character that you've never seen before so uh, it still comes down to somebody coming in and pitching and having people smart enough to know that they're, they're giving me a gift here. And <laughs> I, right. I, you know. right. You you have to have some new product. Otherwise yeah. you just become an oldies station. Yeah. Or a clean, or, uh, you know, a, a, cl- a classy looking old, the same, the same stuff with just, you know, different titles. I mean, right. It, uh, cover versions of the same oldies that's what that's what um if anything um i I don't say i mean i'm removed from the business a bit now but it's not the fun thing is i roll my eyes almost every day when i go oh god so you're doing another one of these or you're reviving this or it didn't work the first time and you're doing it that that's really kind of concerns me but 
you know, when somebody comes in and pitches that stuff or Dick Wolf says, you know, I got, I've got a fifth one order for you. You're not going to say no, but at some point it all feels the same. Well, it's the same thing in the feature world where it's just franchises and sequels yes. and things because yeah. the audience is familiar with it. And, and I think when there is so much product out there, I think the audience probably clings to the familiar even more. Well, it's easier to know what you're getting rather than, you know, take right. the dog. Right. You know, the and like you said, only 24 hours a day, only so much time you can watch television and right. you don't want to spend it devoting time to to right. shows where you watch it for an hour and you go, nah, I'm never watching this right. again. Right. Exactly. Or, you know, or there's, um, that's why when I was in the business, I always avoided or never supported putting science fiction on the air because um, so much of sci-fi is here's something I'm not going to tell the audience what it is. And you'll have to go along with this for a couple episodes. And then I'm going to tell you what it is. And more likely than not, you're going to roll your eyes and say, that makes no sense. Goodbye. You know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you weren't there from the beginning, you're going to be completely confused. So, Right. You know, other, as opposed to, you know, uh, law and order, organized crime or whatever they're about to put on the air or white collar crime or I can't remember which one it is. <laughs> um, you know, OK, I know and I know who the character is and I know what the stories are going to be and they're going to be resolved one way or the other in 60 minutes. Well, this has been fascinating, and like I say, we'll talk again in two years when it's a completely different model, and it's all holograms all the time. Right, and I'm going to go off and watch King Kong versus Godzilla. That's right, when people will be watching from the chips that are implanted in their brain from taking the vaccine. There will be, yeah, there will probably be a mood thing where right. I sit down in front of the TV and there's sensors, and they go, here's what, here's the, I know exactly what you want to watch. Right. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to tune on the incredulous channel tonight. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, Preston, it's been- thanks so much. This has always been great. Love talking to you. Take care. Okay, there you go. Preston Beckman, my guest this week on Hollywood and Levine. Thanks so much for listening. As always, our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce, and Jason Miller. My email address, should you want to get in touch with me for any reason, it's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm on Twitter at Ken Levine. I am also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Please subscribe if you haven't please stay safe get vaccinated when you can and i'll talk to you again next week bye-bye hollywood and the fine